Another Way to Play, episode 25. Hey, this is David DeWinter, founder of Row Hero. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my buddy, Hans Truzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is a good buddy of mine, David DeWinter, who's the founder of Row Hero. Uh, it's a sports technology company empowering young rowers to forge their own path to peak athletic performance. David started this company in 2017 after deciding to leave a 10-year and very prosperous career at Microsoft. He saw the opportunity to improve the sport of rowing, which he loved independently of Microsoft, and scale it out to a global market. And he decided to take it even though in retrospect it was the right decision it was a little bit challenging in the moment to take that leap and we definitely get into that uh, David does passionately believe in the process of self-improvement in any discipline no matter how familiar there are always opportunities to get better and that mentality along with fearless execution as has put David on the path to personal freedom. Uh, in this one, guys, we have a lot of great content we're going to talk about, so you're going to want to take a few notes. Um, but uh, some of the keys to listen for uh, are David's thoughts on uh, deciding to make the leap into something that you're just passionate about and you feel is right. We talk about that gut feeling uh, and that it's really important to listen to it because uh, ultimately that's you're the one who has to live with your decisions and not anyone else. Also, he has a really interesting anecdote about being introspective, speaking of gut feelings and talking about his drive down to Tahoe for Christmas right before he made the leap to start Row Hero. And generally speaking, um, David has been very self-aware whether he knew it or not. And he talks about that process of self-awareness, filling gaps in his own knowledge, filling gaps in his life relative to being fulfilled by his work personally, uh, giving back to the clients and the customers and really making a difference in the world. So I uh, hope you really enjoy this one. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that I would love to get to know you personally, uh, to have a connecting uh, conversation. Uh, so go into the show notes. You'll find all of David's information there, uh, as well as my Calendly link, so you can get on my calendar and we can have a chat on the phone and get to know each other on a more intimate basis. I can find out a little bit about what you like on the podcast and hopefully how to make it better uh, for you. So uh, when you're done with this one, go down there, check it out, and let's connect. And until then, uh, here is my conversation with David DeWinter. David, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate your time, and I'm really excited to uh, to bring you on and talk about your story. Yeah, thanks, Hans. I really appreciate you reaching out. This is going to be an awesome conversation. Looking forward to it. Well, we've we've gone through your bio already, so we we have a little bit of the the highlights. But why don't you dig in a little bit and kind of tell us where your journey began? Build a little context here. Sure. So. I grew up, I was the, an only child living in Little Rock, Arkansas for basically the first uh, 18 years of my life. And I was really trying to figure out what my place was in the world as I got towards the end of high school. You know, it's a small town, about 200,000 people, and you, you aspire to what you see around you. I really try, my parents really helped me like focus on education they were immigrants from another country and they were really uh they really emphasized the importance of education especially in my early life so i tried to figure out what was what was the path for me and as i got to high school i got really into i was just a very academic person i didn't do a lot of extracurriculars i didn't have a job i was really trying to figure out like how could i be the best person that i could be Sure, that involved a little bit of competition with others, but we, 
didn't really focus too much on that. Um, so I thought high school for me was about learning how to work hard and specifically learning how to outwork everyone else. Mm. And by the end of high school, you know, I wasn't number one in the class. I wasn't valedictorian, but I was satisfied with the progress that I had made and how basically learning how to be as good as I could be uh, with the time I had available. After high school, I kind of lucked into this next step in college. Um, I was really interested in getting into one of the Ivies, but they all denied me. Hmm. And I was actually really happy about that. Um, not at the time, but I, looking back, I am really happy about that because what happened was um, I kind of stumbled into this two-year bachelor program for computer science in starting in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I didn't have a background in computer science. We didn't have any computer science courses in our high school. I'd done a little bit of, of website development just on my own because I thought it was fun, uh, but nothing that was really serious or professional that really set me up for success in this program. And so when you're talking about a four-year degree condensed into two years, um, that's something that was definitely a plus uh, to be able to get into that school. But um, long story short, I made it to that school and I just took all that experience I had in high school outworking other people and um, long story short, I made it through those two years at college and actually graduated with a really, like, really lucky to, to have graduated with a good earning uh, job in Salt Lake City as a software development engineer. Wow. Um, I, I, yeah, it, it, was, it was incredible. Like, I didn't know this was something that was going to happen to me. Um, I didn't have aspirations through high school of being in, in software, um, but it just kind of happened to be the right thing at the right time. And the school just popped up. Like they, the school was literally founded in 2003. So wow. I was there in 2005. I was the 10th class because it was a quarter-based system. And uh, the fact that making a bet on that school actually paid off um, was incredible. So I, I went from graduating to, I was still in Salt Lake City at the time, I actually pursued my master's in computer science at the same school at the, t at the same time as working full time. And then by the time that I had finished both of those, or I finished my master's degree, um, Microsoft was really not on my horizon at all. Um, but at the company I worked at, we were using a lot of Microsoft technology, especially early, we were early adopters of a lot of new stuff that, that Microsoft was doing. And this is stuff uh, probably a lot of people haven't heard of because it's in the software space. It's not like, uh, you know, newest versions of Windows or anything. It's, it's more uh, frameworks that we software developers use to build software. As a team, we were um, using a lot of this this early technology, and we participated on Microsoft forums. You know, we were trying to learn more about the product. We were trying to help other people. Um, our company actually gave us time to to give back to the community of software engineers like that. And at one point, um, one of the Microsoft employees who was on that forum messaged me and said hey, I really like your answers to all of the other people who have questions about our product. Um, have you ever considered working for Microsoft? And I was like, uh, uh, well, maybe, like, I don't know. Like, that, actually, that, <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. I never even thought about it as a possibility. You know, I was still really excited at the time working with the team in Salt Lake City, but it's like, holy cow, this is an awesome opportunity. So after a while, you know, I tried to keep it a little quiet uh, with my, my peers at the time. So, you know, I took a vacation day to go uh, fly up to Redmond and interview. Uh, well, I made it in. So after a long day of interviews, I made it in and I started literally two months later. So I moved up to Seattle in 2009, January of 2009. And that's when I started my career at Microsoft. David, there's some really, a couple of really interesting things that I'm, I'm seeing so far that I just want to uh, touch on here sure. in your story. Um, you said back in high school, you, you were quite academically focused and you used the term to outwork others. And that's what you felt like you were learning to do. Yeah. Um, 
it's that's unique to me and that that got my antenna up because i think most people are so result oriented or goal oriented in that they want to be valedictorian or they want to hit a 4.0 or whatever and they tie their self-worth to that outcome or that that achievement or lack thereof of a goal but you're suggesting like what you said is you tied your self-worth and your satisfaction in that moment to the effort you put in and the work you did yeah and and to be honest like i don't think i really had full self-awareness of what was happening at the time right like we were all young in high school and and what i recognized though was that hey look even if i so i ended up being third in my class instead of you know first which was the goal originally i'm not saying having an outcome goal is not or a result goal is is not the right thing but when i found out that i was third it's like okay well i'm third I'm going to keep working hard and seeing, see what else I can achieve with what I can control. And um, in that sense, I just kept focusing on, on me and I didn't care about the, you know, the guy who was number two, the guy who was number one, they were going to do what they were going to do. And, you know, by the end of it, by the end of high school, it was like, okay, number three, number one, number two, uh, you know, I actually found out that it didn't matter as much to college as, uh, as I had originally thought. And so Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, well, uh, this seemed like a, a good experience. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't self-aware enough to understand the difference between focusing on the process versus the result at the time. Sure, I as just, few are, I think, in general, yeah. but especially in high school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but looking back, and actually in preparation for talking with you today, I think that was a, a huge outcome that I recognize as just my behavior in high school. It was it was all about um, just focusing on how I could make myself better. And on top of that, you know, fast, fast forward to your job in Salt Lake City, you're in these Microsoft forums, like giving value, answering questions, and just being um, someone who is reliable and, and obviously has a standard of knowledge and gets the product, but also is willing to help. And that clearly got you noticed and, and gave you the opportunity to go to Redmond and interview, which obviously brought you to the next chapter. It's really interesting. I think we found like, it was just the culture that we had. My peers in the, in the workplace were basically a bunch of the same people that I had gone to school with because the, the company itself was a startup or I would say medium or a little bit later stage startup that was basically siphoning all the graduates from the university, which was cool in a sense, because it was basically like your friend group going over to to the company and you just continue to do the same thing. So our culture was not only are we going to go and try these new things, but um, being able to help other people just helped reinforce our own knowledge of what we were learning, which in turn made us more valuable to the company, which yep. why they allowed us to do that. Awesome. And I I think in retrospect, it's really important to recognize that as that culture, because like you guys were all clearly talented individually, um, but that culture really brought something special out of each and every one of you. And and then I'm sure gave you guys all interesting and different trajectories as a result. Oh, yeah, totally. But but the nice thing was, is it felt like as a team, we were all focused on the same goals, which I think, you know, having look, looking back at that through my experience in a bunch of other environments was, was rare, especially right out of school. Totally. hundred percent agree with that, especially in a, in a fast paced uh, industry like tech, you it's, it's, it gets pretty cutthroat real quick. Yeah. So you go up to Microsoft, you get your interview, you nail it, and you get your option to move. You come to Redmond two months later. Then, then what? Then you've made it. Then you're in. Then you, then, you know, the, the heavens part, and never, all is good for the rest of the rest of your life. What's going on next? Well, yeah. So it's like, what is the next goal at that point? And um, this was where I wanted to explore because at the time, I thought Microsoft was like, okay, this is peak intelligence like execution like i'm gonna find the best minds in the world to work with here and so i want to suck up as much as i can and learn as much as i can from this group so when i started i intentionally decided to switch i uh, i guess career path is too strong of a word i would say more like discipline within tech so i was a software engineer which means i built software for public consumption by by you know um, by the customers at our company but then i switched to a software development testing role i did that because i didn't really know what that was about 
And I thought I could learn so much from the, what I thought was one of the best companies of the world to work for in the tech industry. And so I just wanted to learn that. And then maybe if that didn't work, I'll go into the next thing. But I was pretty focused on learning something new there. So I started the first couple of years of my career at Microsoft in the testing role. And that was when I started to realize after a couple of years, it's like, you know, my peers are kind of just like me. And actually, in some senses, like I can apply the same skills that got me through high school and through college to actually outperform them as well. And so that's when, you know, the, this, um, the veil was lifted for me. It's like, okay, just because I'm at one of the best companies in the world, it doesn't mean that everybody is so, so much better than you, so much smarter than you, um, or outworks you or that sort of thing. Like there are certainly those people there. And I tried my best to find those people because that's how I would grow. But when I started, it was kind of, it was really, it was really quite apparent to me that it was like, Oh, okay, well, I'm going to learn a lot here, but I still have to be uh, really self-aware that I'm on the trajectory that I want. So after a few years, I found that I was hitting a, a basically a glass ceiling in the testing role and I switched back to software development and that was the right choice at the time. So over the, my course of eight years or so at Microsoft, I switched roles many different times and mm -hmm. they were all motivated for different reasons. Um, I've taken you through the, the testing yep. development role, um, but I was always trying to pick up more and more um, understanding of like what it was to be um, top-notch in this industry so let me fast forward to what actually made me question my time at Microsoft so I would say I was about um, see looking back it was about three or four years in this was 2012 2013 and I just switched to this this software development role and over a couple of like we we're starting in this new product doesn't matter what it is, but over several months, I began to realize that this isn't motivating to come to work every day. Like, what are like, and starting to ask these questions, like, what are we even building this for? Like, who is our customer and, and what are they even like, why is this making a difference? Right? Like, what is the impact that I'm making by being on this team? Um, and I started to get like really disillusioned with, with not just, not just my group, but with Microsoft as a whole, um, because it's, it was like, oh, I, I don't really feel the spark anymore. Like, is mm. this time to move on or is, is it time to do something else? Like, what is the option at this point? And actually one, one thing that was really interesting was, um, an option was presented to me at some point, which was to go from being a software developer to a software development manager. So on the same team, I thought, oh, maybe that will shake things up and I'll, and I'll find some happiness and, and satisfaction there. But it turns out that like, I didn't actually really like management that much. And so to be a manager on the team that was still delivering a product that I had no passion about, that just made it even worse. And I felt like this, this deep seated, like visceral reaction in my stomach, like every time I would have to have uh, I would really look at my career and be like, oh, what is, what is actually happening here? The, that was the time when I realized that some, I, there was some knowledge or something that I was missing that would have helped me be a more effective, I would say, product leader mm -hmm. on that team. Like, I didn't know the right questions to ask. I tried to push in all the ways that I knew how, but there was some fundamental knowledge gap that prevented me from being, I would say, happy on that mm. team. And so I realized that I would have to go find this and no one was going to help me do it. I had offers to go to, to, to China for a couple of years and do things there. And it's just like, you know, all these, there's all these opportunities there, but I have to say yes to the right one. Yep. So... At that point, I had, I had a, a previous mentor of mine had moved to another team, and that was a team where he and a, a small group of individuals were trying, were trying to understand what it was like to take a product from its initial idea all the way to like serving a market. 
And that was what I didn't know. Everything that we had done at Microsoft up to that point was somebody in a very privileged, high up position, manager position saying, this is the vision for this company or for this group. We are going to do this and you guys get to work. You know, as, as code monkeys, you guys go execute. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was like to ideate, validate that a vision, um, understand who my customer was, really put myself in the shoes of that customer and figure out what problem I'm trying to solve. Um, I didn't know any of that. And I figured, hey, if I'm going to find any satisfaction out of building stuff for other people, I think I need to have more control over this process and I need to learn what this process is all about. And so at that point, I had to, I, I jumped ships to another team where I, with my friend where I could get this experience. And over the next several years, I spent a lot of time just learning, sucking up everything I could. And at that point, I had all the knowledge I needed to pull the trigger. And um, I know this is getting long. I appreciate your listeners bearing with me. But this is uh, the time where I figured, you know, I have something to give back to the world. I've got the skills to do it. Let's go do it. And so I quit Microsoft in 2017 and decided to start my own company. Normally I jump in, but I just wanted to let you go because you were, you were just rolling there. That was awesome. Um, you, you said something that I think is really interesting of, about saying yes to the right opportunity, not necessarily just the first one. And yeah. that intention around, which is very clear through your story over the last couple of minutes of you talking, is there is a high degree of intention here. And, and you're always sort of got the self-awareness, whether you realized it or not through your story. Um, I would, the hard thing I find with self-awareness is it's, it's one of those things that if you're not self-aware, you don't even know what to look for, right? Like how, do you feel like it was a mentor or just a general inquisitiveness that you had or like how did you develop the skill for yourself and to to be asking all these questions and realizing these knowledge gaps it was it was a gut feel um i i like i told like i said i i really had this visceral reaction against what we were doing and i had this belief that there had to be a better way i just didn't know what it was and the people in my you know first degree network and and to some extent, even some of my second degree were not there. I didn't know the right questions to ask to get mm-hmm. it answers. And so um, I just had to do a lot of exploration on my own. And just like it, what I also thought was was weird, we were in kind of this, this shared illusion. Like, so we would, I would talk with my team members and we would all kind of just kind of moan about what was happening. No one really seemed to have a good solution for it. So that was another red flag to me that I needed to get out of this circle and try and figure out like what it is that I was missing. And fortunately, this other team popped up at the same time who uh, my my old mentor moved to. And um, that was where I found my avenue to to kind of explore, oh, this is what I was missing. And it was a big thing. I use I still use it all the time. You, you clearly identified this knowledge gap. This opportunity came up right around that same time. And, and, then, and then you took it because it, it felt right. And I, I will say that I think we as kind of a generation and as a society like to outsource a lot of our self-worth and opinions to the internet, frankly, at this point. Um, and you and what in the previous question I asked you, you said it was your gut. Like yeah. there's something oddly like just definite about a gut feeling, even if you can't like pencil it out or spreadsheet it or something, but you just know. And I think it's so important to be able to listen to that and really go internally and, and know yourself because if you I mean, if you, if you deny those things, you will find yourself in a path that is more than likely wrong and you're going to be unhappy to some degree. And, and if you listen to those things and then you take action towards, you know, digging in on them, I, for me at least, and sounds like also for you, um, those are when the most memorable, awesome moments in life happen. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think a big part of that was growing up, quite frankly, as an only child. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just provided me the opportunity to spend a lot of time by myself 
and whatever problems I was having in school and extracurricular stuff, sure, my parents would be there as support, but they weren't always available. And so mm -hmm. if I was uh, trying to think about it or I was trying to figure out how to make progress, I would have to spend a lot of time thinking to myself. And yep. so over time, that practice of listening to myself, trusting my gut, building confidence in what I can come up with, um, you know, sure, li listening to other people for advice, but not letting other people's opinions define my path. Totally. I think that gave me a lot of confidence to move forward with, with just trusting my gut. Absolutely. So going to your transition in 2017, you're presumably, uh, by all outwardly appearances, doing quite well. You're not even 30 yet. You're on this, uh, have got a ton of great experience at Microsoft, presumably, you know, with some promotions and some good money and like yeah. a great life situation that by most accounts, yeah. uh, but you inwardly weren't quite getting the the itch scratched, if you will, or, you know, getting the the passion out of what it was you were doing and ultimately you found that knowledge gap. You learned this, this thing about how to solve a problem, bring something to market, test it, and, and bring it to a consumer ultimately. And then you identified something in a passion completely outside of work, which is rowing, and, and you launched entrepreneurially into that world. Can, so talk us through, through that transition and, and what that was like for you. Yeah, this was, um, this was quite, uh, like this was, we're talking about transitions to freedom, like this was the moment. So after I joined that team, where I learned all these things about taking, taking software to market, eventually, as what happens with all sort of incubation-like groups at, at big companies, they, they get absorbed back into some bigger product team. And so at the time, um, we're talking end of 2016 here, uh, our group basically disbanded and got absorbed back into Office 365. So that's mm -hmm. you know, uh, all the web, uh, mobile and desktop apps for Microsoft Office. Yep. So um, they gave a lot of leeway to those people being absorbed. And so I took some vacation around Christmas time. And I, I spent some time uh, doing what I do best, which is going, uh, being very introspective. I decided, my friends, they had won a one week stay at uh, a friend's cabin in Lake Tahoe. And so most of them were, they had invited me, they were flying down um, basically between Christmas and New Year's, I believe. And I decided to drive down and every day on my drive, I would go hike and by myself and read. So I picked up, a, I made a reading list for myself. I decided to go hiking and this was my time to just figure out okay, I've reached an end of another chapter here. Clearly, there are lots of things I could be doing with my time. What is it that I actually want to do? And I spent a lot of time just, again, just being introspective. And I decided, okay, you know what? Let's take an opportunity on Office 365. I switched roles again because now the role that, uh, that actually focused on delighting customers, solving their problems was called a product manager. So I decided to be one of those. And I lasted six months in that role. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started off actually underperforming, but I got better at it. But then after six months, I recognized that I don't want to wake up every morning and go build someone else's dream. Mm. And that, that was the turning point for me where I said, okay, like let's engineer my graceful exit from Microsoft because it was time at the time I had also, we've, I know that we've glossed over a lot of stuff in terms of the rowing passion, but I had been figuring this sport out as well. And, and this kind of came to a head in mid 2017 where it was like, okay, I, I see a problem in this sport. I have a unique set of, uh, unique set of skills to bring some solution to market here. Let's go try it. And uh, I've been really happy with that decision ever since. Well, yeah, the rowing thing, I'm, that's where you and I originally got connected because as right. everyone knows, I, I rowed for 12 years competitively and uh, at the same club as David. And I don't 
know that we ever competed with each other and overlapped in that way, but, um, but through events and I would come coach in the summer once in a while, we would see each other regularly, which is awesome. And then you had this sort of side, well, this outside of work passion, which was rowing on Lake Sammamish uh, at Sammamish Rowing Association. And um, it ultimately took that and turned that into what is now Row Hero. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So can you, because not all of our listeners are rowers, can you define for us, um, what the opportunity was on a high level relative to rowing and, and how you're working to improve the lives of athletes? Sure. So the way I think about it is, is I had, so I had been in rowing for a number of years. And if you treat rowing like another endurance sport, like cycling, uh, running, swimming, a lot of these sports are very data-driven today and mm-hmm. how people uh, or I would say athletes and coaches measure progress. What I found with rowing is that through my experience in the sport is that coaches and athletes themselves, like we did a lot of work um, on, on technique and we did measure data in some senses, but it was so difficult for teams of 30, 40, 50, 60 people. It's so difficult for coaches to scale measuring progress at an individual level to their entire teams. And I honestly think, you know, through my experience in software and and kind of the corporate culture of the world, if you're not measuring something, it's very difficult to understand improvement. Completely. You can can measure your improvement relative to your competition, but that only happens like not, not that often throughout the year. And so I continue, I saw an opportunity to at first to, really improve how we systematically collect, use, and analyze data to help every single athlete reach their peak performance. And just to build a little more context there, uh, one of the big training items that we use on, on a rowing team is called an erg or an ergometer. It's the rowing machine that you might have seen in a CrossFit or at the gym. Um, and it's got a little computer monitor that spits out numbers for every stroke that you take, and it's telling you how fast you're going. Um, and David is basically talking about grabbing data off of all the workouts that you do every day and every week over time and analyzing that at a deep level. Because traditionally, if someone's recording it, it's either on a one-on-one basis, you're recording your own scores in a little notebook that you keep to yourself, or possibly you've got coaches, coxswains, or somebody recording some data on a spreadsheet or probably in a book um, that is really hard to scale and analyze on any macro level. Um, but you're, you basically took that and, and turned it into something that could be done digitally on a, on a quick and easy basis. Yeah. And that's absolutely right. And the sort of things that I recognized that I was onto something is the fact that now that instead of someone running around and writing scores on paper or trying to get it into a spreadsheet, um, the fact that I can, we can get, everyone scores onto the coach's phone by the end of the workout and allow that coach to be able to have a meaningful conversation with his entire team and each athlete individually about their progress. Like that's so much more powerful when you can have that conversation that same day, as opposed to 24 hours later or even a week later in some cases when it just takes too long. Totally. And I, I love that you identified that opportunity and that problem in our sport because I totally agree with it. I mean, there are hundreds and thousands and millions of data points that have just been lost over the years because of this lack of tracking um, and, and non, not an ability to even review it, let alone you know put it somewhere where it can be looked at. And I think more broadly, just relative to your story, it's, it's interesting that you chose this um, problem to solve. And, you know, you took your, your skills as a software uh, engineer, developer, tester, all of the things that you learned at Microsoft and before, and then applied them to a passion that was completely outside of, of work. Can you walk us through like why rowing, why, um, why that as opposed to any other number of things? Like what, what drove you into that one? How did you pick rowing 
as opposed to any number of other things? Because you had this, as you've said, this unique skill set of, of tech in your experience and software development, um, as well as this passion just personally for rowing. Like, why that as opposed to any number of other things you potentially could have done? Right. So what, uh, what I really see or what I saw at the time was rowing was something that really helped me develop as a team player and as a, as a person, as an individual. Um, if I was st solely stuck in software engineering, there are so many lessons that I would not have picked up about persever perseverance, resilience, building culture that I could not have applied in, into the workplace. So this was actually a symbiotic relationship having both of those having background in both of those areas. And so for me, it just seemed like the natural thing to do. Building expertise in these two different domains that really, I hadn't seen a lot of people marry that well together. I mean, there are rowing apps out there, but nothing that's really solving um, the problems that I'm looking at. And no one had really identified that these problems were worth solving as a, um, uh, like from a technological perspective. So for me, it just seemed like the natural thing to go do. First of all, because I had achieved so much success in the sport of rowing, and I also wanted to give back, and I was coaching at the time, and I felt, you know, coaching, coaching is okay, but it's not where I provide unique value back mm -hmm. to the sport. And so for me, I'm always looking at that angle of things, like, it, and especially, I mean, that's something else I picked up from the workplace, right? Like, don't spend your time doing things that other people could be doing if it's uh, if you have unique value to provide elsewhere. So this just all these sorts of factors factored into that decision to just go all in and rowing. Wow, I mean there there's so much value in in that sort of train of thought that you just brought out. I, I really love it. We're we're definitely getting a little bit to the end of our time here, so I want to be respectful of your time this morning. But I do have a, a question for you that's sort of been lingering. You've, you were surrounded by some really smart, you know, very highly successful people at Microsoft. And yeah. you obviously went out and did the entrepreneurial thing and, and have taken your leap towards your version of freedom. How do you define freedom for yourself uh, going forward? Freedom for me is, okay, so this is, this is interesting. So there's a quote from Steve Jobs that lingers with me. I can't remember when he said it, but it was, it was obviously impactful. He said, um, if you wake up and you look at yourself in the mirror and you ask yourself, if today was the last day of my life, would I want to be doing what I'm about to do today? And if the answer is no, too many days in a row, then it's time to change what you're doing. And so for me, freedom is about being able to look in that mirror and say, yeah, if today was the last day, like, yeah, I don't have regrets, right? Like I've lived the life that I've wanted to live and I've, I'm finding, and I'm, and I'm happy with what I have right now. I'm still on the path. I like, I still have a path. I still have a goal and I still want to keep work, working. Like it's this, I don't want this to be the last day of my life. Mm -hmm. But for me, like the fact that I can, look in that mirror and honest and be honest with myself. Like, this is what I, I should be doing. This is where I, I know I need to be. I, I have that. I have more days like that so much more now than I ever did working for Microsoft. That's, that's fantastic. That when you said that quote, I totally flashed on, I think it was a commencement speech where he, he brought yeah, that, that up. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. It's that one that's on YouTube. I think it was Stanford either way. Um, I totally know what you're talking about. Love that uh, quote. And it really resonated for me during my, my time pursuing the Olympics is I kept something similar in my head. It's like, if I'm 40 years old, can I look back and say, I got everything out of this that I, I could have? And the answer was always no. And there were moments when I really seriously considered retiring in 2014 when we just totally sucked. We didn't even make the national team, let alone get out of like into the A final at the uh, trials. And I was like, man, am I just, did, did I cap out? Am I done? And, you know, I really seriously thought about quitting and I thought to myself, you know, I don't think so. I think I've got more in the tank and I, and I, I don't think if I look back on this in five years, I would, 
be happy with with the decision to stop so i kept going and it and it paid off and i think that that is a really important uh, metric to measure your life by not just money or promotions or whatever yeah it's a, it's about like um future possible regret totally right it's the same same sort of thing as what you're talking about i'm totally on that 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 same level it's like in this factored into quitting Microsoft as well, right? Like I'm still a young professional and I figured like, look, this is only going to get harder to do something like this. If I stay in here, you know, I'm, I'm getting close to my thirties, you know, I'm looking at building a family and, and all that sort of stuff. It's difficult to do that and try and build a company at the same time. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it just, I mean, there's just more and more barriers to it. So I figured it's like, harder. yeah, yep. totally. Um, I think looking at that, looking things through the lens of like, is this what I want to be doing? You said at some point earlier in the interview that um, you didn't want to wake up and build somebody else's dream every day. Yeah. And, you know, looking at yourself 10 years down the line, I'm like, am I going to be happy with these decisions to keep going or to pivot? you know, the, like having that wherewithal to look forward enough to, to really be strategic early will send you on a completely different trajectory. Um, if, if you allow yourself to take that deep dive and, and trust it. Yeah. And it's scary too, right? Like, Oh my know, gosh. Yeah. Because it's not just, it's not just about you at that point. It's about, it's the people around you. It's your impact on your family. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not immune to, I'd like to think of myself as someone who doesn't try to put too much stock in other people's opinions, especially if they're strangers. But, mm -hmm. you know, if they get close, as, as the circles get smaller and smaller, you know, what your, what your family thinks, like it was a hard conversation with, uh, with my parents and, and my close friends trying to figure this out because, you know, people want to be supportive, but they also, you know, don't want you to lose your house. Yep. So. Totally. Totally. Well, you know, spe uh, speaking of sort of, blazing your own trail before we get into our final uh segment of the show you are undertaking a pretty in impressive journey uh here coming up in in a couple of months probably by the time this episode airs you'll have completed this um, but can you tell us what you're doing for your 30th sure so um in in about two months time i am turning 30 and um i have recognized looking back at the past decade that i have spent so much time um, at Sammamish Rowing Association, learning how to not just how to row, but uh, learning a lot of the lessons that we've actually talked about in this this podcast today. And I just I want to give back in a way that it's more than just saying I'm grateful for the opportunities and the uh, the mentorship that I've received at the club. I want to give back in a way that kind of that both financially benefits people who want to have those same opportunities but don't have the means to today mm -hmm. and i also want to inspire people to say this is something that's possible when you learn a lot of these skills on your own and so what i'm doing to benefit Sammamish rowing association is i'm raising money for their scholarship fund and this is, again, as I said, to help people who want to row, to want to have these same sort of opportunities, but don't have the financial means to. And what I'm doing as a challenge to myself is I am hiking what's called the North Bend Triple Crown, which is a North Bend is a city that's local here. Uh, it's a couple miles out of Seattle. But there's a couple mountains in that area that are, are so three mountains, 10,000 feet of elevation. 30 miles of hiking and what I want to do which is rowing that it's the rowing tie-in is take a 60 pound rowing machine the ones that we talked about we're getting all the data from I want to take a 60 pound rowing machine up to the top of each of those mountains and then row the height of those mountains at the top and I want to do all that in 24 hours so it's it's an incredible journey and it's something I've been looking forward to for about a month now. I've always wanted I've always done these sorts of physical challenges and I'm looking forward to this one. Um, but it's just one of the first ones that I don't know that I can actually accomplish. But I think either way, regardless of if I complete it in 24 hours or not or even not completed it at all, um, it's going to be an amazing story to share and I want to do that uh, for the benefit of, of rowers 
at Sammamish Rowing Association and quite frankly, everywhere. You're an animal, man. <laughs> That's incredible. We're going to link to, you've started an Instagram account so people can follow that or check in on it if they see it after the fact. Um, so I'll link to that in the show notes for sure. And I'll you know, definitely be posting about your progress because I think that's just totally awesome. And uh, it's inspirational to say the least. Uh, I can't wait to see if you can get it done. Yeah, well, thanks, Hans. Yeah, you guys can follow me at uh, Epic Mountain Rowing. I'll have an Instagram that we'll put in the show notes and a Facebook page as well. Perfect. With that, uh, let's transition to our focus five, which is the final uh, segment of the show where I ask the, uh, each guest same five questions every episode. And I'm really excited to see what you have to say to the answers. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So first question is, what book have you gifted most often? There's a book called Questions That Get Results. And I love this book because, it, first of all, I don't have to read the whole thing to get the ideas out of it. But second of all, I think we do a disservice to ourselves as human beings trying to get to the, the meat of things. Um, by, and we have to do that by asking the right questions. Um, this book has helped me in so many different situations, both in the workplace and out of the workplace, uh, to figure out how do we really get to the crux of the matter that, at hand. And it's got stuff about motivating people, project management, building teams, defining goals for yourself. It's, 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 it's really good. So um, I, that is definitely a set of ideas and, and a book that I've gifted the most often. Awesome. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, ask, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Do you know who uh, David Goggins is? Oh, yeah. Can't so, hurt me. <laughs> yeah. I was so, going to say your, your mountain adventure sounds a lot like something he might do. Yeah, totally. Um, I'd love, so I wouldn't ask him that many questions because he's not a talkative guy, right? But I, I just want to, let's go work out for an hour. I want to just beat the hell out of me. Because <laughs> I think that would be an awesome experience just to learn from. Totally. Uh, what is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? I think for, for me, we do, we do so much of, um, actually, let's start this over. So uh, what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? I think as human beings, we tend to shy away from discomfort. And I actually have changed my philosophy on this recently to tell people to lean into it because that is where most growth tends to happen. And I'm not talking about where your physical safety is in question, but it's like in, in uncomfortable situations, you know, work with your colleagues, friends, uh, spouse or whatever. Um, that is where you really find that the growth is. So lean into that discomfort, get out of the comfort zone. 100% agree with that. Uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. You're active, you're training for this mountain hike, you got to have something good. So what, what do you do? I, w I wish it was sounded really exciting, but it's pretty mundane. I, I get up, I have the same breakfast, which is two and a half cups of oatmeal with a handful of raisins sprinkled on it. Um, while I'm eating, I am on mentorbox.com. I don't know if you've heard of this site, but it helps me um, it's basically a bunch of authors breaking down their books into really short bite-sized segments. So it helps me get through a lot more books than uh, just having to read the idea, read uh, from cover to cover. Uh, but then when I'm done with that, my day is so variable that most days I will try and go out and train or I'll coach. Uh, but then after that, it's, um, I've really got to be intentional about how I plan my day, but it could be anything because I've got my full-time job at Row Hero but I've also got some part-time work that I have to do as well. And well, you, you start with some nutrition and you, and you start exercising your mind. So you get, get through some, uh, get through some content and some books right away. Um, love that start to the day. Uh, what's the best place that the audience can connect with you online? Yeah. So I think there's, there's two places. Um, my first place, which is more my mainstay is on Instagram at uh, row hero official is my handle mm -hmm. i that is 
it's sort of, it's, it's for my business with Row Hero, but I also post a lot of stuff that's related to the content that we've talked about today. And because it's a company of one right now, I tend to blend in a lot of uh, personal stuff as well. And then the other place you can find me, uh, which is more short term for this challenge we've talked about is Epic Mountain Rowing also on Instagram. Uh, we are going to link to both of those in the show notes and you can follow uh, David on both accounts, check out what he's doing, um, you know, and, and see who, the, the man behind the, the legend here, if you will. Um, Cause he's, he's got some cool stuff and some really good insights of rowing of life advice and all, all the stuff in between. David, thank you so, so much for being on the show. So before we log it off, do you have any other parting thoughts for the audience. Yeah. Well, first of all, Hans, thank you so much for inviting me. And this has been an amazing opportunity to talk with you about some of this, this stuff. We just quite frankly, don't get a chance to talk to that talk about that much. Um, I would go back to what we talked about when it comes to regret. Um, if there's ever any decision that you're pondering, think about how it's going to affect your life. If you don't make that decision, or if you choose a certain way, you know, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, and um, use that to help guide your life. It's always helped me make the right decision and I hope it will help you guys as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for bringing that in and, and bringing, bringing the heat today and uh, look forward to following you on your epic mountain rowing adventure. All right. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that episode uh, with David DeWinter as much as I did. Uh, he is really pretty inspirational guy, I have to say. I've always uh, admired him and what he's pursuing and doing, uh, including this epic mountain adventure uh, with the hiking and the rowing at the top. Uh, I think that's pretty incredible. If you want to connect with him uh, on Instagram is the best way. Go to Row Hero Official uh, is his main handle. And then he has another handle, Epic Mountain Rowing, uh, that you can check out his uh, crazy hike with the 10,000 feet of elevation with the rowing machine strapped to his back. So uh, definitely hit him up there. Check him out. Give him some support because I know he's going to need it and would really appreciate it. All that's in the show notes, so you can easily find him there. And while you're in the show notes, I would also love to connect with you personally. Uh, so click on my Calendly link. Uh, get on the calendar. Let's have a chat so we can get to know each other a little better, uh, connect one-on-one -on -one in a more personal setting, and I can ask you a few questions on how I can make this podcast even better. So if that interests you, uh, go down and connect with David, and then connect with me as well in the show notes. So until then, uh, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, signing off, and remember, make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.